Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining me again today. And um, it, it's it's rare that I get to interview friends of mine that I've been friends with for a long time. Um, but today is, is one of those cases where I get to interview a, a guy that I worked with. He was my boss at one time, a mentor. And he is he has remained a dear dear friend. You can find him on LinkedIn at Joe Romzek R O M Z E K. He's he is a a sales trainer, a leader, a coach, and uh, just a great guy. I call him Jr. And you can too after this conversation. Joe Romzek joins me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Jr., how you doing, bud? Yeah, I'm doing wonderful, Brian. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here and talk to you for a few moments today. So thanks for having me on today. You look way better than I do. I, I mean, again, you know, here, here I roll up in like a t-shirt and like I, I, you know, like I threw some stuff in my hair, like I just got out of bed and you look like you're ready to just take on the world, man. This is, this is the JR I know and love. I am ready to take on the world, Brian. You know, every day you get up, it's a new day, a new challenge, and a new opportunity. So, uh, ready to take on the world. Jr., you, you, this time that we're in right now, and, and you and your family live in, in Michigan, and, and, and it's different everywhere. This, this pandemic has affected people in different ways. What have you seen through this so far? that's given you hope and given you some encouragement that you've seen positively through the pandemic? Well, um, really, I'm starting to see people come together a little bit more uh, as far as wearing the masks, holding doors for each other, keeping the six feet distance without keeping getting irritated and uh, irrational at the store. So it seems like people are slowing down just a little bit here in Michigan kind of taking it easy uh, and giving each other a little bit more space just due to the pandemic and uh, everyone seemed to be masking up a little bit more. Now it's a mandate uh, just recently in the last couple of days uh, indoors. Yeah, we've got but, the same one here in West Virginia, so. Okay, okay, yeah. But JR, and what I what I love about you is is you have led teams, and I didn't mean to interrupt your your thought. I, I love that bringing people together. So let's talk about that for a minute. In in your role, in your previous roles, you've led large teams, you've led small teams. In leading a team right now during uncertain, unusual times, what what is a leader's? What should a leader's main message be to? Who, to his or her team right now through something like this? I think it's going to be the message should be clarity, letting people know that there is a leader in charge and that they have a very clear message that it's going to be okay and that this is what should be done along the way. But just having a good leader all together is really what's needed. Somebody that can really step up to the plate 
and walk everybody through the valley of darkness because we're in unprecedented times right now. We don't know what's going to happen and we need that figure of strength and a leader that's got the confidence to walk us through. Yeah, I think that's so important because, again, everybody's kind of flying by the seat of their pants, right? I mean, it's, it, it's one of these things we've, we've not been here before. No matter what business you're in, you and I together, we were in higher ed when we worked together. Um, I was, I've been in food and, and different things. And so every industry is different. But for you, what do, what do you think the worst thing that a leader could be doing right now and if somebody's listening, maybe they're going, ah, oh, I didn't think I was doing that, but maybe I'm doing that. And now I can see why my team's got some heartburn from it. Sure, sure. Just not taking the bull by the horns and kind of just being a little soft and not knowing where you're going. I think that's the worst thing you can do is to take a hands-off approach and kind of wait and see what's going to happen because I think everyone uh, has a lot of turmoil and anxiety in their lives right now. And so I think people are looking for some of that. Yeah, the, really the worst thing that a leader could do is to stand back and do nothing. These are some times of high anxiety and people don't know what's going on. So they need someone that's strong and bold that can stand up and take the bull by the horns and tell the team where they're going, what we're going to do, how it's going to go. I think the worst thing you could do is just kind of sit back, be quiet, and not say anything and leave people to the worries of uh, what may or may not happen in the future. Yeah, I think inaction from a leader right now, JR, because then that gives the team even more anxiety, right? Because it, it, it's, it's like, okay, well, if you don't have a clue, how are we supposed to, to have a clue? You know, we, we, when we work together in higher ed, we, we worked remotely, so we know what that's like. But for a lot of people, they don't. What was the biggest thing you had to learn when you first started working remotely about how to do it and how to do it effectively? Well, my problem was being able to turn it off because uh, when I, I was always on and when you're at home, you're like, well, I could be working. I mean, it could be nine o'clock at night. I could be doing more. I could be doing more. And so I'm kind of that type of guy that, could, that has a hard time turning it off. So when I was working from home remotely, I had to know when to be able to say, okay, it is nine o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night. I'm not going to think about work. I'm going to shut it off and do other things, family things. And um, so just being able to shut it off and know when, how to balance, balance it all out. Well, and, and for guys like us, you know, we're, we were used to it. I, I've been working from home now for the last four months. I, I, I've done it before, so I, so I kind of knew what to do. But there are some people, man, it's brand new for sure. them doing this because they've always gone into an office. They, they've gotten in their car at 7 or 7.30. They've gotten to the office by 8. Um, they get an hour for lunch. They get out of the office at 5. They get a half-hour drive home. It's, it's just that same routine day in and day out. What's the one productivity hack that you, you mentioned you, you, there were times that you had to, to know how to turn it off. What was the one thing that you did that helped you be more productive 
that you could share with somebody from, from that experience the first time that you worked remotely from home? Sure. I guess just treat it like a regular going to work job. Like I dress up, I try to look nice. Uh, I feel better about myself. And then I start it right in the morning, right at eight o'clock at morning. I'm on hitting it uh, from the get go. So some people may just kind of take, make coffee, see their kids goodbye and kind of get uh, tangled up with some of the family obligations that happen when you're working remotely, but you can't do that. You have to have your dedicated office, your dedicated space, and treat it just like a nine to five, eight to five type of uh, position. Man, that's so good because again, we we can get lost in the fact of, oh man, I, I'm not feeling it today, so I'm just gonna kind of, I'm just gonna kind of mail it in I'm just going to kind of go, well, you know, I'm working from home and, and this is the new normal and, and, and man, it would, there's a lot of times it's easy just to mail it in. Right. I mean, do do, is, is that one thing that people have to guard against is kind of mailing it in or, or what's the one thing that, that you, you kind of see as a red flag. If, if you see yourself doing this, then, then you know that you're not really as engaged as you need to be. I would say having the television on, that's one of the things that I don't the TV off at all times. So I don't get sucked into the, uh, the television of the day. You know, that is so important. And, and here's the thing too, man, the, these devices that we have, I mean, they're, they're televisions in our pockets. And, and I, you know, so many people, whether you're in an office or whether you're working from home, a lot of times our cell phones, our iPads can be distractions away from keeping us from doing what we need to do. I want you, if you would, to, to take us through, you take me through your, your career. I always ask people when they come on the podcast, how did you get from point A to point B, from where you, where you were to where you are now? Kind of take me in through the journey of, of your life and career for a little bit. Sure, sure. Well, I've always loved helping out people. That's uh, part of who I am. Uh, I'm an Eagle Scout. And part of scouting is giving back to the community. And uh, it's something that's been ingrained in who I am. So I really like helping out people. So one of my first jobs out of college was an admissions advisor at Baker College. And that's where I would talk to people and help them figure out what types of career paths were available to them and help them uh, get into their career, help them with their financial aid and help them launch into a brand new future. So that was uh, my first step into higher education and I really loved it, did very well at it. I became a road recruiter. That's basically where you go out during the day and give presentations at the high school uh, talking about the college and setting students up for success beyond high school. So we would generate some leads, some inquiries there, and then we'd call them. And uh, we did really well at Baker College, grew it quite a bit. And then uh, my wife and I decided to move to Tennessee. We had vacation down there, and the weather was very appealing to us, and we found a great deal on a house and uh, moved to Tennessee. 
and I became a recruiter for ITT Tech and did very well with them. Uh, became now, I gotta, an outside recruiter. I, I, I got to stop you a minute. I yes. remember, I remember, refresh my memory, because you had a certain automobile that you rolled around in down there in Tennessee. And I was privileged to ride in that thing a few times. And if there ever was a vehicle meant for a, a certain guy, it, it was this car with this dude. It right. was it was it was the JR Mobile man. You gotta tell you gotta tell the audience. Was it was it a was it a Buick? Is that what it was? Brian, I'm still rolling around in a Buick with Sabre today. Yes! The Buick <laughs> lives. The Buick lives. Well, oh, what happened? That's phenomenal, man. That is the best thing I've heard all day today. Yeah, well, that car that I was rolling around in there, I had over 300,000 miles on it, and I got hit. And so the insurance cashed me out and I went to Florida and found the exact same car with no rust and only a hundred thousand miles on the car. And so now I got the exact same car as I've had for the last 10, 20 years. So that is such a beautiful thing, man. <laughs> that is such a beautiful thing. I remember the first time I saw that, that car, I, I was like, my word this is yeah. this is glorious this is glorious so you moved to knoxville tenant how much of a culture shock was it for for a detroit michigan boy to go to knoxville tennessee well um knoxville wasn't too bad i actually lived up in uh a more of a rural area in oliver springs tennessee and that was uh it was definitely uh, a culture shock it was a little bit different uh just everything about it was a little bit different. So that was exciting for me. I really enjoyed it, made a lot of friends and friends that I still keep in contact with today and uh, still go down and see them and hang out with them down in Oliver Springs. So I made some lifetime friends uh, down there. I'm sure your accent was a little bit different for those guys to get used to, wasn't it? Sure. Yeah, I got the. You're not from around here. Because uh, <laughs> you had grown up in the in the Detroit area, right? I mean, you've always grown up there. Right. Yeah, I spent 25 years in Detroit, and then moved down to Knoxville, and uh, outside of Knoxville, and uh, definitely I had the accent in that area. So um, now I don't normally do this during the podcast, but I'm going to stop and tell a quick. JR story here in, in the right. middle of this podcast. So back after we, after he and I both left the company that we worked together with, I was working for a company with my dad and I was actually working in the Toledo area and I was going to go up to see him. And, and he always called me big sexy. He said, big sexy, whatever you do, do not stop at an exit called eight mile. If you're out of gas, keep going, but make sure you got plenty of gas before you go. If you get to that exit, do not stop. Stay right on 75. Because if you stop at that exit, I may never see you again, brother. And that, that was my first, that was the first time I'd ever been to, to Detroit proper. And, and, and I know for a fact 
my guy may have saved my life that day. <laughs> you remember telling me that you're like, man, don't stop. Just keep, yeah. just keep rolling. Keep chugging. That's right. And I had a three quarter ton van too. What was funny. I was driving a three quarter ton van and, and I, I mean, could you imagine if I had broke down in that neighborhood, like what those guys would have thought? I, I, I would have been, I would have been a sitting duck. I mean, I've got a duck commander shirt on. So <laughs> I would have literally been a sitting duck in that place. So yes. you go from ITT tech, which is, which for those that, that, that aren't familiar or don't remember ITT tech did a lot of, of technical training before many of the mainstream colleges adopted that curriculum, ITT Tech was was really a leader in technology and preparing students from a technology standpoint. Um, when you think about your time there, what what's something that sticks out to you? Because again, you were working for, as I mentioned, you were working for an industry leader that was preparing kids for the for the next thing and. And it was kind of a, a specialized training field and a specialized college that you were recruiting for. Yeah, well, it was uh, a good school. Basically, like you said, it was very hands-on, career-related. So that's what students really enjoyed about it is that they were taking classes that were going to give them skill-based, hands-on training, things that are going to help them get a good job. So uh, that's kind of what made ITT Tech a little bit different. And I've seen a lot of my students be successful and get good jobs. And again, I'm still in contact with some of the uh, students and graduates from Knoxville even today. So how does that make you feel when, when you had, you met these folks when they were 16, 17, 18 years old, and now they're in their early 30s and, may, and probably some have families of their own now. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about that impact that, that you may have had on those kids? Yeah, it just makes you feel good, Brian. It's one of those things you're like, yes, I've actually helped a, that person get to where they want it to be. And some of them have really good jobs making very good money and doing things that they enjoy. So uh, it kind of really makes, makes it all worth it. At the end of the day, you kind of sit back and you say, yeah, I, I've done some good in my life, not just for myself, but for other people. And I like helping people. So that, that kind of sits well with me every night when I lay my head down on the pillow. You and I first met in in july of 2009 and i'll never forget the first night i met you i had joined this this university in kentucky i'd just come from the food business and i walked into a holiday inn on the outskirts of louisville kentucky i walked through the dining room out to a patio and that's the first time i had met you was in july of 2009 but how did you get there? I know how I got there, but how did you get there? Sure. Uh, well, basically, once I finished up at ITT Tech, uh, I did a little stint in real estate. And what I realized is that I needed a steady income. So I went back into my love, my passion of recruiting students and helping students uh, obtain a better future. So that's when I found an opportunity with Sullivan University. 
and I was working uh, as a recruiter in the Knoxville area for to recruit students to go to Lexington, Kentucky and Louisville, Kentucky. So I was uh, a field recruiter and so that's how I transitioned. I've never asked you this and I'm gonna ask you this now. The first time you saw your boy walk through the door and I said, hey, my name's Brian Sexton. Your first thoughts were what? What is going on here? <laughs> Who is this guy? What Unless rock did they find him out from under? <laughs> yeah, I hope I somebody's driving him home. Maybe that's what you thought. <laughs> no, I just remember. I, I, I tell you what I remember is I remember how, how, how welcome all of you guys made me feel because I was coming into that same role. I was – I was a regional admissions officer recruiting students in West Virginia for the Lexi. So you and I shared that responsibility of, of, of populating, if you will, or building the, the enrollment for the Lexington campus. And then we had responsibilities for Louisville as well. I tell you what I, I would remember too, JR. I remember about a year in, my first year, I was just trying to, to figure it out. And that's, you know, when, when you go to a company, you, you know, a lot of times your first year, you're, you're really trying to figure it out. But the second year, I really felt the pressure because when we would go to that campus, there were people looking at us like, well, how many students are you going to bring us? That's when I started feeling that internal pressure of, man, there are people's jobs counting on what I'm doing. Did, did you ever feel that way yourself? Or maybe that was just something I felt, but I don't know if you ever felt that way or not. I've been in uh, college admissions to know that every lead, every inquiry is a life. And so basically we have to change at one at a time. So uh, it's a huge responsibility that we had. And it was a lot of pressure I felt from the beginning all the way to the end, which is a good type of pressure because you want to be able to really help as many people as you can. Yep. And, so. and, and you were there, you, you kind of moved around a little bit. And, and again, you were my boss for a little bit and, and I learned a ton from you. I tell you the biggest thing that I learned from you is, is not to be so hands-on. And you told me something, you told me something either Either I can share it or you can share it. The, the piece of advice that you gave me, you remember what you told me? Go for it. You looked at me and you said, some will, some won't, <laughs> who cares, next. Right. And, and, and it really changed my thinking because, and the reason that I mentioned that is you also told me, you said, look, the more you do for somebody, the less they're going to do for themselves. Where did you, where was that honed in for you when you really got a hold of that concept in your own life? Yeah, that's just comes from years of experience. You know, a lot of times you would go and do a lot of work to help people get a scholarship and at the last minute, they would just bail on you and you've done all this work and you're like, I, wait a minute here. Why, why wouldn't you take this free money? And they have they always have a reason. Um, but 
it blew my mind time and time again. And after you really try to go through, the more you do for people, the less they would seem to want to do for themselves. So that's kind of a mantra that I picked up along the way and uh, kind of stuck with me the whole time. And then part of prospecting, you know, you get a lot of no's, you get a lot of rejection and prospecting and developing leads. Uh, that's just part of it. So that's where the, some will, some, some won't, who cares? Let's call another. Next. The greatest thing that you ever did for me, I, and I am going to share this story. I was in Princeton, West Virginia one night. And I was in, we, we recruited in the home of students. We, we met with the student and their, their parents. It could be, you know, mom and dad, or a lot of the kids that I recruited were single, had single parents. So I, I was talking to this young lady and her and her mom were there. And so our job was then we, our job was, we would talk about the university. We would talk, we would go through a video presentation. We would go through a questionnaire. And then if we felt like it was a good fit for the school, we would ask them, we would invite them to apply and they had to make an application fee. It's not, in the school we worked for was kind of ahead of its time. Many, if not all, state and, and, and public universities now required an application fee. To, but, but back then, we were a little bit ahead of the curve. But this young lady's mom reached into her brassiere and pulled out a $50 bill and handed it to me and says, I want to thank you for your time and, and wanted to give me a $50 tip. And mm -hmm. I am sitting there going, oh, no, this is not good. And I said, I excused myself. And I went out to the car and I called you and I'm like, they gave me 50 bucks. What do I do? Cause I wanted to put it in my pocket. I was like 50 bucks is 50 bucks, man. I want to put this jewel in my pocket. And you were like, no, tell them to put it on their housing, their, their housing application. So somehow it got back to the chancellor of our school that this lady had tried to tip me and I told him to put it on their housing application. And he was like, I love the integrity out of that Brian Sexton. And JR saw it and he called me and he was dying laughing. He was just, and we both were just rolling like, yeah, right. I wanted to stick that thing in my pocket, man. But you, but you did, you helped me in that time. Cause I, I really did. I, I, I mean, I know that's 10, 11 years later, but, I mean, 50 bucks is 50 bucks. I wanted to put it in my pocket. I was like, man, nobody's going to find out. And it wasn't a, as I look back, I'm like, you know, they were just trying to be nice and I, I didn't know any different. And so I didn't know, I didn't know I wasn't doing anything wrong, but you kept it. You kept me from making a mistake that naive, you know, naively could have really been detrimental just right. not knowing any better. That's my best JR story. I'm calling him like, well, tell him to put it on their housing deposit. So, <laughs> but you moved on through, um, you and you and you and your family decided after a period of time in Knoxville to move back to Michigan where you're from. What was that like going from Knoxville where you had established roots and friends and 
deciding to pick up and come back home and move back home. Because for some people, it's a good thing. And some people, it's like, you know, it's not really what we wanted to do, but we had to do it. What was that like making that move back to Michigan for you guys? Sure, sure. Well, we took all of our vacations to Michigan when we were living in Knoxville. So all of our spare time would always go back home. Uh, we loved the weather. I had a ton of friends. It was very, it was, we, my wife had a good career. I had a good career, but I had a uh, opportunity with a, uh, the Art Institute of Michigan to serve as the uh, senior director of admissions at a startup campus in Troy, Michigan. So it was a, too good of an opportunity for us to pass up. So we decided to definitely come on home and mixed emotions. Our family was totally thrilled that we were coming home and we, we decided uh, at least we're not gonna have to vacation in Michigan since we'll be living there all the time. We can actually go and vacation in Knoxville or vacation elsewhere in Florida or somewhere. So it was uh, definitely mixed emotions, but it worked out well for the family in the long run. You never know what's in the cards for you until you find out. And it was uh, definitely a blessing in disguise. You know, you know I, I'm thinking here, and, and, and it's so easy with a podcast guest that you've known so intimately to get caught up in story time. But I got to ask you this before we transition real quick. Do you remember the night you and I were at a Geno's Pizza in Anstead, West Virginia? I do. I do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I was asked, we were meeting a student in their family. And the student's parent did not believe we were who we said we were. We had to brandish ID. <laughs> Continue the interview. <laughs> yeah, wanted to see business cards. and We had to brandish ID. I mean, it wasn't obvious that we had materials on the table with the school we were working for. And I think we had those jackets that they made for us, those black jackets. Logo jacket with the name. Logo sport coach, yeah. And, and, the, and the aunt, the, the girl lived with her aunt, and she still wanted to see ID. Yeah. Well, you never know, huh? That was the – well, no, I offered her ID. I'm like, do you, do you want to see some ID? And, and, and you looked at me like, what are you doing? Like, where did you pull that out of? And you're just looking at me like, oh, my Lord, what's, what's going on here? I, I will never forget that. That was that – was, you and I worked together that night. That was – wow. I, I, it's hard to believe it's been 10, 11 years ago now, too. Time flies. Yeah. Real quick, and I've got a couple more questions for you, man. I appreciate you doing this. I've, I've been looking forward to this all week and in, in just having you on this on the podcast. Take me through a time professionally when you overcame a, a pretty big obstacle. Um, because I, I've known you, 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 you have come through some, some challenges in your life professionally and, and, and you always have a way of persevering. What's one that you would share with the audience that kind of would connect someone that may be going through a similar situation? Hmm. Well, Brian, the only thing I can really think of is right now what's going on currently with COVID. Uh, we don't know what the future is going to hold for us. We, it's a totally unprecedented time. 
Uh, a lot of people, including myself, are out of work right now and looking for opportunities. And you're looking for a safe opportunity. And so I really don't know, Brian. That's a tough question for me. Well, and, and again, I appreciate you being as transparent as you can because you're right. This may be the biggest obstacle that people that people face is what they're facing right now. I mean, who knows how long this pandemic is going to go on and who's going to end up getting infected with the virus. And, and thankfully, many, many, many people, you know, I, I think I read somewhere last week, JR, there's been almost 4 million uh, confirmed positives and we've only had, and, and I hope nobody dies. I don't want anybody to die from, we've only had 140,000 deaths. So the math is really low. There have been so many people that have recovered and, and have gotten better from this thing. And, and um, we just wish that, that, that if you're listening to this podcast and you, you have, you have COVID-19 that you recover and you recover well, and if you've had it, hopefully you don't have any lasting effects from it. And so, yeah, JR, as we finish up, man, thank you for, for doing this, your time. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement? What is something that you have leaned on over the years or, or what encourages you? Something that you would share encouragement-wise and leave with our audience as we, as we close out the podcast today. Sure, Brian. It's so simple to me. It really comes down to the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you really believe that and really act upon that daily, if you treat other people, if you want to be let in in traffic, let the person in front of you in. So I, I just believe that if you live by that mantra, which I do, uh, that is an intentional encouragement right there is doing to others is what you'd have them do to you. So I've never asked you, but how do you keep a perpetual tan? You look the same. Like you, you, you look, you always look tan. Like every I've known you for, for like almost 11 years now here. I am like pale white and, and you're just like, you always look like you've come back from a beach vacation, man. I love it. Yeah, I tan easily, so I don't usually burn. So, and I like the sun. So, give me and the you're sunshine. A biker, you're a motorcycle rider, so that doesn't hurt either. Right. Yeah. Give me some sunshine and fresh air. I'll take it. Yeah. Joe Romzik, Jr. My my man. Um, what can I say, man? I I appreciate this, and and uh, anytime we get together, man, there's always laughs to be had, and. I value your friendship all these years, and I, I thank you. Um, tell folks how they can get uh, connected with you and get in touch with you and, and uh, if they want to connect up with you. Sure. You can always find me at LinkedIn. Uh, it's Joe Rumzek, R-O-M-Z-E-K. Uh, you can always email me as well. It's J-P Romzak, R-O-M-Z-E-K, at gmail.com. So, Always looking forward to touch base, and I'm a LinkedIn open networker, so let's talk. And his cell phone number is 823. <laughs> no, I'm playing. JR, you're the best, brother. Thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Stay well, man. Okay, thank you, Brian. Have a great one. Stay well, too. 
My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place, can be an intentional.